Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Suzio of Geodata Vision. Welcome to this episode addressing everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. Today's topic is about COVID-19 in CRA. I'm Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting. And I'm Len Suzio with Geodata Vision. Len, a lot of bankers seem to be confused about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on Community Reinvestment Act. For example, we've had clients asking about how loans under Payroll Protection Program, better known as PPP, are to be reported and how they will be considered for CRA examination purposes. Can you share with our listeners the answer to those questions in any other way the pandemic may have affected their CRA performance? Dean, I'd be happy to do so because I too have heard a lot of confusion. I can understand the confusion that many bankers feel about this issue. Regarding the so-called PPP loans, the Payroll Protection Plan Program rules, all loans extended under the program have qualifications for recognition under the economic development definition in CRA because they involve job preservation. However, there are two complicating considerations. This is typical for regulatory compliance. The devil really is in the details. First, aside from fulfilling the purpose of permanent job preservation, the loans must pass a size test insofar as the employer is concerned. This means the employer must have $1 million or less of gross annual revenue, or the borrower must be qualified under the SBA program Part 121 size standards. The SBA size standards can be surprisingly large, sometimes as many as 1,500 employees and $41.5 million in gross annual revenue, for example. It all depends on the industry. The size standards are dictated by the NAICS codes, the North American Industrial Classification Codes. So listeners should not be discouraged from looking up whether their borrower meets the size test. However, if a company is larger than both of the size standards, the the loan won't qualify as community development because it will fail the size test. A second complicating factor is that if a PPP loan itself is $1 million or less, the loan must be reported as a small business loan, not as a community development loan, even if it does involve job preservation and it passes the size test. However, If a bank is undergoing a CRA exam under the intermediate small bank exam standards, the bank can elect on a loan-by-loan basis to have each loan treated either under the lending test or under the community development test. This is true even if an ISB voluntarily reported the, the PPP loans as small business loans. It is an elective allowed only to banks undergoing the ISB exam standards because regulators finally recognize that because of their size, ISBs tend to make disproportionately more small business loans that promote job creation, but are denied credit because they are reported as small business loans. For years, I expressed concerns to the regulators about this undue burden, which is particularly acute for ISBs, as I just explained, and because ISBs have a two-part CRA exam, one, the lending test, and two, the community development test, and they must pass both 
tests to earn a satisfactory composite performance rating. With many of their economic developments being denied credit, ISBs were barely passing the community development test section of their exam until this exception was allowed going back to 2009. A third thing I want to mention is that all PPP loans, whether they are examined as small business loans or as community development loans, would qualify for extra credit as, quote, flexible and innovative or complex and responsive to community needs standard. In fact, the agencies issued guidance stating, quote, that PPP loans will be considered particularly responsive if made to small businesses with less uh, with gross annual revenues of one million dollars or less or to businesses located in low or moderate income geographies or distressed or underserved metropolitan middle income geographies. Participation in such loan programs could also receive consideration as innovative or flexible lending practices. So if PACE isolate the PPP loans and present a listing of all of them to your examiner to get this extra credit, Dean. Very interesting, very helpful to our audience. Len, are there any other ways the pandemic might have affected CRA considerations that our listeners should be aware of? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question because there is another complicated and confusing aspect to the pandemic and the CRA that bankers should be aware of. What I'm referring to is the, quote, disaster area declaration that made every census tract in the country declared a disaster area. Experienced CRA officers will recognize that for community development considerations, designated disaster areas offer another opportunity to earn community development credit. But in the case of the COVID-19 disaster areas, the designation was as Category B assistance, which ordinarily is not qualified for recognition under CRA. However, the agencies, in light of the unprecedented impact of the pandemic, on March 19th of 2020, issued a joint statement. And on May 20th, they followed it with a Q&A indicating that even though the disaster areas were limited to category, category B assistance, any activities that revitalize or stabilize these areas by protecting public health and safety, in quotes, would be considered as community development. To help clarify it, that what is public health and safety, the regulators went on to explain that it would involve anything that supports emergency medical care, including medical facility services and supplies, temporary medical facilities, and anything that enhances medical or hospital capacity. Also, any, anything involving the purchase and distribution of personal protective equipment, and as well as the provision of emergency food supplies. And finally, any assistance to state, tribal, territorial, or local government for emergency management and to support communications of general health and safety to the public would qualify. Wow. It certainly can get complicated, can it, Len? Well, hey, that's the nature of the beast called regulatory compliance. <laughs> well, we hope you we enlighten some compliance professionals today. We encourage listeners to contact us and let us know compliance topics you would like to hear about in the future. I'm Dean Stockford. And I'm Len Suzio with GeoDataVision. Thanks for listening to the Compliance 911 Show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. As always, links are in the show notes, and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and GeoData Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.